Mark chapter 8 and verse number 31. Mark chapter 8 and verse number 31. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed. And after three days rise again. And he spake that saying openly. And Peter took him and began to rebuke him. But when he had turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Dear Jesus, thank you for another time to be in your house. and Lord, thank you for the privilege to open your word and preach. And Lord, I pray that our hearts would be open to your word. You have a plan. You have, you have a plan for the whole world. And you came and fulfilled it, and you want us to proclaim it. Lord, help us to bring the message of the Messiah to all that will hear. I pray these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. The mission of the Messiah is my title this morning, the mission of the Messiah. Ever since Jesus made his first public appearance, he'd been trying to reach the nation of Israel time and time and time again. He was their Messiah. And he did everything he could to convince them of this truth. His miracles, his teachings, his healings, compassion, you know, so many things. All clear evidence that he was the Messiah prophesied way back in the Old Testament. Yet when Israel saw Jesus, they refused to accept him as their Messiah. Jesus was rejected by the religious leaders, Mark chapter 8. He was rejected by the nation as a whole, Mark chapter 6. He was even judged by his own family in Mark chapter number 3. He was rejected. He came into his own and his own received him not, John 1.11. And even as Jesus attempted to reach Israel, he was also trying to teach his disciples. So it was a, a two-track situation here. He was trying to reach Israel and he's trying to teach his disciples. And he spent months teaching them, displaying his power. He was unveiling his identity to his disciples for a long time. They were blind to his identity, who he was. Even though, hey, they've been there for all the times he healed the leper and the blind man, the cast out the demons, fed thousands of people, controlled the forces of nature. They still did not grasp who Jesus was. They missed it. The disciples were like that blind man uh, a few weeks ago that we looked at uh, back in uh, Mark chapter 8, verses 23 to 35. uh, When they were able to see a little bit, you remember when the Lord, you know, brought them outside of the city and he touched his eyes and things, and he just see like men in his trees. They saw a little bit of who Jesus was, but not clearly. And this portion of Scripture, Jesus lays out to them who he really is and what he really was going to be all about. And now, uh, in previous verses, uh, Peter lays out the statement that sums it up. You're the Christ. You're the Anointed One. And now he's going to teach them some things that really are going to shock them about who He is and what He's going to do. Verse number 31, we see the Messiah's mission is declared. The Messiah's mission is declared. And He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed after three days rise again. There's a marked contrast between verse 29 and verse 31. Peter proclaimed Him to be the Christ, meaning the Anointed One. And now, and that refers to the Jewish Messiah. You know, the Jews have been looking for a long time for a Messiah. This wasn't a new 
development. They were, they were anticipating, though, a man not like Jesus. They were anticipating a military leader who would defeat Israel's enemies, restore righteousness to the land, and who would purify and restore the temple worship uh, and, ancient, and the ancient glory. And you find that in Jeremiah 33 and Ezekiel 37. The Jews really believed that the Messiah that would come would come and rescue them by the sword. That He would come and defeat the enemies in a physical battle. That was how they would uh, overthrow the, the Romans. They were looking for a revolutionary type figure. Leave it a revolt. Let's throw off the Romans. When Jesus came, He preached, He taught, He healed, and He called men to repentance. Can you see how this was not lining up with the Messiah that the Jews wanted, but the Messiah that came? Big difference. Jesus is a you know, humble carpenter from Nazareth. Peter uh, you know, and most of the disciples recognized Him as the Messiah, but everybody else rejected Him. They believed that Jesus was the Christ, and He was the fulfillment of the prophecies and promises, the, uh, the uh, disciples, and but yet they didn't quite understand everything that was happening either. They were missing some things, really big things. Jesus began to teach them. Verse number 31, they began to teach. The word began suggested the fact that this was very new information that Jesus was giving to the disciples. And He spoke to them openly. He wasn't, and that's in verse number 32. Here the Lord Jesus would not use any parables. He had used parables with the, with the multitudes, didn't He? This was not a parable situation. The message was not hidden. It was spoke clearly so the men could understand what He was trying to tell them. And the revelation that Jesus makes in this verse is devastating to all the notions they had of the Messiah who would come and overthrow the Romans. Though He was a great Lord and great Christ, like this was not computing for them. It was missing. A, it was like, what? We don't understand. This, is a, this doesn't make sense. It's not connecting as we want it to be. Did you catch that word the way they wanted it to be? Notice the title. He gives himself, Peter uh, called him the Christ. Uh, Jesus did not deny that title. He was the Messiah, but He calls Himself the Son of Man in verse number 31. The Son of Man must suffer. This reminds us that Jesus did not come to this world to live as a king, but He came really as a slave in the sense of coming to rescue us. He, He did not come to be exalted. He came to be humbled. Was He not humbled? He certainly was. You can find reference to that in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 8. Jesus is the King of glory. He's the King of the Jews. He's also a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Revelation 13.8. Now, Jesus is not contradicting Peter. He's merely opening the eyes of Peter and the disciples to His true purpose for coming. He expands that statement some more. He tells them that while they're looking for glory, He actually came to suffer. In verse number 31, some man must suffer many things. He lived in poverty. Jesus did not deserve that. He is the Son of God. He did not have to come and live in poverty. He deserved everything the world could give, the very best, but He lived in poverty. He was a man who was rejected by most, hated by many, and loved by very few. When the whole world should have been coming to Him and bowing to Him, most, many, the vast majority hated Him. He was truly a man who was despised and rejected of man. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. 
and his, and we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Isaiah 53.3 Jesus tells his disciples that it will be the religious establishment who will be the most vocal of his opponents. The most vocal opposition. When Jesus speaks of the elders there in verse number 31 and the uh, chief priests and the scribes, He's referring to the Sanhedrin, which was a council made up of 70 Jewish leaders, religious leaders. They passed judgment on matters related to religion and everyday life in Israel. Made up elders. That was influential lay leaders, chief priests, referred to high priests, any former high priests, and leaders of 24 courses of the priests within the tribe of Levi. And most of these men were Sadducees. Now you say that today and people will be like, what is Sadducees? You know, Sadducees were a liberal, theological liberals of the day. Okay? Just think of liberals, Sadducees. Okay? That's who they were. The word scribe refers to the Pharisees who were on this council. Now the Pharisees, you probably have heard that term. You probably heard people say use that term, you Pharisee, you know, the idea of being hypocritical and things. Uh, but they were the religious conservatives. Things haven't changed much, have they? You know, liberals and conservatives, okay? I mean, what are they missing? The most important part, right? Jesus. They were missing Jesus. And they, these were the two groups that were on this council, and they were responsible for knowing, preserving, and protecting the law of God. That was their job, and they missed Jesus. Wow. This rejection by the Jewish leadership had already begun. On more than one occasion, they had tried to kill him. They had sent men to do it. And when the men came back and said we couldn't, they were upset about it. They plainly rejected. They, they weren't even... You know, a little bit like, well, let's think about what you said, Jesus. They were like, we don't like you. We don't like what you teach. We don't like you. We're going to kill you. I mean, there was, in Scripture, you'll see where they, they covenant together. It's like, we're going to kill Christ. They never referred to him as Christ. They killed Jesus. We don't want him. They would accuse him of blasphemy in Matthew 26 and 27. They would sentence him to death. Uh, they would turn him over to Rome, demanding that he be executed. The religious leaders would lead the people of Israel to demand the death of Jesus on the cross. And even while he was dying and suffering on the cross, these men mocked him in anger and showed their total disdain and hate for Jesus. Sad group, isn't it? Sad group. Surely the disciples had seen the opposition that Jesus had been facing and seen it growing. But when he said the next part, they were speechless and be killed. You know, up at that time, as Jesus teaches them, yeah, we saw that scribe and yeah, we saw that. Yeah, we killed. He lets them know that the Christ, the Messiah, would not only be rejected by Israel, he would also be put to death. We don't know how long this teaching session lasted, but the word teach gives us the idea, or at least suggests, is ongoing. It's ongoing. It may have lasted quite a while. Jesus took the occasion to show his men that the path of the Messiah would lead him to his death. 
And this is a concept that no Jew would ever have considered nor could believe that the Messiah would die before he would deliver. Like, how can you deliver if the Messiah is dead? He can't deliver. Then Jesus told them he must die and that he would rise again from the dead. There would be suffering. There would be pain. There would be death in the Messiah's future. But there was also glory. There was also glory. He would pass from death and conquer death and and hell and the grave. And for all those who believe Him, they would have freedom from those things. Oh, we still have to suffer in the sense of a physical death, but we do not need to go to hell. Amen? We know Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. We accept Him as such. Hell is not our future. The disciples did not understand this truth. They were stunned to hear that Messiah would be killed and they were incapable of hearing everything else. Have you ever been in a discussion with somebody and they kind of lay a, a, a bombshell on you and everything else you act or you really don't comprehend? Have you ever been there? You know, maybe, honey, I broke the car. And you don't hear anything else. You know, the car. Or, or maybe one of the kids comes in and says, I smashed your favorite vase, Mom! And everything else goes silent and, you know, these disciples heard that Jesus would die. They'd... What? What? We, this does not compute. They didn't understand the Lord's teaching concerning His resurrection until after Jesus rose again. Then they got it, amen? Then they got it. Maybe what shocked the most was the word must. Must. He must do this. He had to do this. This, this wasn't optional. You know, uh, if you went to college, university, it'll give you things that you must do to be able to be eligible to apply to the college. You know, it was great to see our guys down at PCC and things, but they had to meet a requirement before they could get there. They had to do certain things. They had to graduate and whatever the case. Jesus must do these things. He had to. This is indicated that Jesus would endure God's plan for the Messiah and he would not, he, he would not veer away from it. It was God's will for him to do it. And Romans 8.32 is a fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy. Psalm 22, Psalm 69, Isaiah 53. It would satisfy, satisfy God's demands of God's law. Ezekiel 18. It was His own will to die for sinners. Aren't you so glad for that this morning? I am. It was His own will. This was Messiah's mission. But before we leave this lot, thought about, you know, this was His mission, let's stop and praise His name that He did it. Amen? We can forget so quick. We can forget so quick the greatest benefit, greatest blessing of all the world, and that is Jesus Christ died for the lost. He died for us. And praise the name, His name, He rose again, defeated death, hell and the grave, and He lives. But so often we forget. We forget the blessing. He did all that so that I, Mark Vernon Alcock, could be saved. He did that so put your name in there so you could be saved. 
for all men, from all races, from all places, from all kinds of backgrounds, from whatever kind of sin you're in, He came and died for you. That's amazing. That He'd love us that much. The Messiah's message is condemned. We see here in verse number 32. And he spake the saying openly, and Peter took him and began to rebuke him. <clears throat> when his disciples hear that Jesus is speaking like this, they were astonished, a little speechless, shocked. His words that they were hearing had gone against everything they ever thought about, that they had conjured up the concept of the Messiah. Was that not he came and died, but he come to deliver? Like they were missing some important parts, but it was just not computing, it was not getting. Traction, someone needed to do something. Someone needed to speak up. Someone needed to talk to Jesus about this. And Peter steps forward. Are we really surprised Peter is the one who talks? No. No. I mean, I, I can almost see Peter. What? What, what are you saying? Uh, and maybe as the rest of them uh, were standing there amazed and shocked, Peter's like, he's a man of action, right? I'm going to talk to Jesus. In verse 32, and Peter took him and began to rebuke him. Took him. So the, this is the kind of idea that, uh, so, uh, Daniel's in the front row. He didn't know he's going to get this today. Okay. So me and Daniel are talking and there's a big group of us here. We're all talking. Daniel's really loud. Stand up, Daniel. Yeah, come on. Stand up. So he is actually pretty loud. He's like myself. So we're talking very loudly and he, he says something very uh, strange. I'm like, Daniel, come with me. That's the idea Peter's doing. He's taking, thank you, sit down. He's taking him away from the disciples and say, hey, we need to talk. Have you ever done that to somebody? You, you, if you have not, you've seen it take place where you put your arms or you take the person. It's a physical movement and say, hey, we need to talk. You know, maybe you told someone a secret and they're starting to blurt it out. Like, whoa, whoa, we need to talk. Whatever the case is, the idea is that it's a movie taking him away and walks his, walks with Jesus, puts his arms around him, shoulder to shoulder, and says, we need to talk. And this wasn't a talk of, can you explain more to me of this? This is, what are you talking about? Then he rebuke him. This word means to admonish or to chide. And, and it was an admonishment of, this is great news. This was, what are you talking? Do you understand what you're saying? I mean, I don't know exactly what Peter said, but it may, maybe something long, less long, knowing Peter is like, you need to watch what you're saying, Lord. Jesus. You can't be talking like this. This is really bad for morale here. You're supposed to deliver us. Like, don't be talking about this. Uh, you should be talking about victory. You're not, shouldn't be talking about dying and suffering and pain. And who really likes to talk about any of those things anyway, right? I don't like talking about it. And Peter's no different than me or you, so he's trying to, hey, don't be at that. Don't be talking about this, Lord. Stay away from that. And Matthew records for us that, be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. Matthew 16, 22. To Peter, nothing could be more foreign than the idea that the Messiah must suffer and die. He could not see that in the Lord's future. And you know, the problem's not exclusively Peter's either, is it? Many people have the problem with the idea of a suffering Savior. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it's the power of God. Amen? 
When the lost world hears about how Jesus Christ suffered and died on the cross, they usually recoil in horror. What are you talking about? Blood had to be shed? What is this talk? They can't grasp the truth that His death was necessary to provide salvation for all who would come to Him by faith. The death of the cross, uh, death of Jesus on the cross was not a moment of weakness. It was a moment of the greatest strength the world has ever seen. It's not a moment of weakness. It's a moment of divine triumph. It's a, it's victory. God accomplished something in those hours on that cross that no man had been able to do for thousands of years. And you put all the men on the world together for thousands of years, they could have never done it. God accomplished something through the shed blood of Jesus Christ that no man, no, no thousands of animals and all the blood that would be shed be able to take care of. When Jesus died on the cross, He forever paid for sin and He forever provided means of salvation. Amen? For all who would come. To all who would come to Him by faith. When Jesus died on the cross, one of the last things He said is, It is finished. I always, I always love, I love reading that portion of scripture. It's finished. John 19.30 records for it. That was not a cry of a victim. It was a shout of a victor. He did not say, I am finished. Hey, some of you guys maybe getting a little older and play a little bit of hockey and after about five minutes, you're, I'm finished. Yeah, I remember my dad doing that when he was about 42. That's the last time he played ice hockey. It's not unfinished. It is finished. There's a big difference. Words mean things, don't they? It's it's finished. What did he mean? What does that mean? It, it means to be complete, to be perfect. When Jesus died, He completed something. When He died, He perfected something. When He died, He completed the plan of salvation, the perfect way to God. That's what He did on the cross. That's what it means when it says, it is finished. He declared that God was satisfied. The way of salvation was open. And it's continuing. It's not done yesterday or done tomorrow. It continues. Alright? It's finished. That means people can still come. Aren't you glad that you can still reach people for Jesus Christ? I'm so glad that people can still come. If we try to remove the cross and the suffering of the Messiah from the platform of salvation, the whole thing crumbles. The whole thing crumbles. There can be no plan of salvation, there can be no salvation, sorry, without the death of Jesus Christ on the cross for sin. There can't. Do you know why people... I mean, there's lots of reasons, I guess, you could say for this this question. But do you know why people hate the message of the cross? It's because it cross it, the cross spells out the end of human self-sufficiency. Can't do it on my own. If I believe what you're preaching here this morning, Pastor Alcock, I can't do it on my own. If we believe that we can only be saved by receiving Jesus Christ and trusting His death and burial and resurrection, we're declaring that we are truly helpless. Because we're not doing anything, are we? Accepting 
We repent of our sin and trust in Jesus Christ. That's it. That's all we do. We really don't do anything but just turn to Him. Man loves religion. Don't believe that? Go drive around our town, our city today. You'll see religion all over the place. Man loves religion. Man loves to do something religious, to earn the favor with God. That's what so many of these churches proclaim. Do this, do this, and you'll get to heaven. Do this, do this, and you'll, you'll, you'll get, you'll get there. You'll get to paradise. The only problem with that is the fact that nothing will ever give a person favor to God on your own. That's why Jesus said His blood. We need to take the gift of salvation. We can't get it there on our own. It's time, I read that this week and it's a great quote, it's time folks to forget about do and place their trust in done. It's not what we do, it's already been done. We need to trust the one who's done it and that's Jesus. Trust Him. The question is, is it finished in your heart? Is it finished in your heart? Are you saved? Have you looked away to the crucified Savior, Jesus Christ, and trusted Him for your soul's salvation? If you haven't, you need to. And you need to do it today. The Messiah's men are rebuked in verse 33. But when He had turned about and looked on His disciples, He rebuked Peter, saying, Get thee behind me, Satan. For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. Jesus responds to Peter's, you know, Peter's taking him aside. Now, Lord, don't talk about this. And, and this verse links credence that he actually turned away because it talks about how he, he turned about and looked on his disciples again. Like he turned around and started talking to them. And, and they're probably, I, I don't know, I don't get the idea that Peter was super quiet. Have you ever met someone who can't really whisper? You know, Peter wasn't like, hey, Jesus, don't, Jesus, don't say that. And the disciples were like, yeah, that's right. You give it to him, Peter. You tell him. Because that's not right. In their minds, it's not right. Jesus looks at them and rebukes them. Get thee behind me, Satan. When Peter tried to talk to Jesus out of going to the cross to die, Jesus heard a voice of another speaking. He heard Peter's words. In Peter's words, he heard the voice of Satan. To Peter, what he said made sense, right? I mean, he, he's not, he wasn't trying to conjure up something foolish or unwise. In his mind, it made sense. But to Jesus, the things that Peter said revealed that the Satan, the devil, the enemy, was using Peter to attack the Lord. When Jesus was on the Mount of Temptation, Satan came to him and tried to get Jesus to claim the glory of the kingdom without the agony of the cross. There had to be the cross. There had to be. And Jesus rebuked the devil. Then, and He rebukes him in this passage of Scripture now. Now, Jesus is not calling Peter the devil, just for clarification. Okay? He's pointing out the truth that Peter was speaking the words of the enemy, of Satan. And He's telling Peter that He's being used by the devil. And Jesus is not sending Peter away. He's commanding Satan to leave from this conversation. Jesus telling them the real problem is they're looking at His ministry through the eyes of man, not through the eyes of God. They're looking for power, glory, and position. Right? That's what they were looking for. Jesus knew that those things were in God's plan, but only after He suffered for sin and died on the cross. 
That was the only way to those things. God's plan involved the death of Messiah. And anyone who opposed that plan was working for the enemy. For the for Satan. This man just a few moments ago called Jesus the Christ. And he was right in verse 29, right? He was right. Who said the eye and Peter said, You're the Christ. He's right. Now a little bit later, he's saying something totally opposite than what was true. He's being doing the work of the devil. There's a couple thoughts here for us to consider. We're often just like Peter. We look at everything around us through the human eyes, right? These were human. We only see how things affect us. We only care about our comfort, our needs, our wishes. Uh, Friday night, I got home pretty late uh, on the flight. And uh, I didn't think anyone was flying home at that time. Like That's why I did it. But apparently like 500 other people thought it was a good time to fly home too. And there's all these people in line, you know. Man, I saw some really nasty people pushing and smacking. It's like, hey, we're Canadians. We're not supposed to do that. We're supposed to be polite. At border crossings, Canadians are no longer polite. I'm just giving you an update, okay? There was people smacking people. And then we finally got through customs. The custom people were fantastic. Have a great time going home. Yeah, it's 2 o'clock. It's great to be up. We get out to get on the bus to get our car. I mean, I saw some very mature individuals smacking people with luggage carts to get in the bus to get to their car. Like, you guys aren't very nice. This is not the way we're supposed to act. We're supposed to be nice to each other. But at all they were thinking about, and I can't really disagree, they were thinking about their comfort, their need to get home and get the base. I was thinking the same thing, but I was controlling myself a little bit more. Hey, so more, so often we can get in the flesh and that's all we think is about is ourself. And that's what Peter was doing here. The will of God is millions of miles away from ourself, isn't it? Uh, I think about the Stevens and how they were trying. I mean, I, I remember spending time with them in Bucharest and how I enjoyed spending time with them and helped them get their church going there for... Uh, for gypsies and things. Man, that's what they wanted. They wanted to be there, but God's will was was different. Now they're in Florida. But they're serving the same God. Amen. And God has a plan for us. We just need to follow Him. But the plan, the, the process can be very trying. So often we get our thoughts on ourselves. We're like Peter another way. We're also weak and prone to failure. You're thinking, Pastor, I came to be encouraged today, not to be reminded of my failures. But we are like that. One moment, we're on a spiritual mountaintop. We can see everything clearly. And we're doing great. And then the next minute, we're down in the depths of the deepest blue sea. And we allow sin to creep in. And we eat carnal. And we don't think the right way. It kind of goes back to what we just thought about a moment ago. Is we think about ourselves. And then one more thought here, and I think this is very important. When a fellow believer has one of these Peter moments, you know, they think they got it all figured out, and you know it's not the right way to go, and you know that that's not God's will, and maybe they fail in a big way, and 
Uh, and, and the rest of us, you know what we should do when that happens? We should be there to help them. When another brother or sister fall down and they do something wrong, that's not the time. We never are given the right to judge. What we're told to do is to encourage. We can be constructive and saying, hey, that was wrong. These are the reasons scripturally why you shouldn't do that. But let me help you. Go on the way. Now, don't see a Christian down on the ground and give him another kick. Let's encourage them. Say, let's go. Uh, you, you made a mistake. But that doesn't mean that you're no longer useful for Jesus. That doesn't mean that God still does not have a plan for you. That doesn't mean your effectiveness is kaput. No. That means you get back up, pick up the pieces, and you move forward for Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad that after this portion of Scripture, Peter's like, that's it, I'm done not being a disciple anymore, and walked away from it all? He made a mistake, did he not? The answer is yes. He certainly did make a mistake. But aren't you glad Peter stayed at stuff? And he kept serving Jesus Christ? I'm sure glad he was the day of Pentecost, amen, they were preaching. The book of Acts. Hey, let's be an encourager. Hey, let's not just let them stay in the dust and on the dirt and kick at them as we go by. No, we need to pick each other up. We need to move forward for Jesus Christ. What is your reaction to the gospel of Jesus Christ? When you hear about his suffering, when you hear about his death, you hear about his resurrection, do you rejoice? Are you thankful? Is that something that makes your heart full with joy? And wow, that's so amazing. Why would he do that for me? Do you, have you embraced? Salvation? Have you come to a place in your own heart and life you realize that you are a sinner? You are lost on your way to a crisis eternity and then you heard about Jesus, you understand He paid the price and that you turn from your wickedness, your, your, your way of thinking, the way you did things and you trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you haven't, I encourage you to do that today. He changes everything. He changes everything. Hey, if you're here this morning and you don't know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you know Christ the Savior, don't leave today without making sure. It is the greatest decision you'll ever make. It changed my life and there is a multitude of people in here who give you the same testimony. It has changed their life for the better. Here on this earth, and the life to come is amazing. We haven't got there yet. It's amazing. Heaven is your home. It's amazing. It's totally unbelievable that God would love us so much that He would send His only begotten Son to die for us. Christian, think about that again. Because we forget too quick. Oh, and yes, and it comes... Second, all jits, I'm saved. You're saved. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I'm so glad that uh, yesterday morning when I woke up and I uh, got going, the sun was shining. Oh, that, that's invigorating, isn't it? And I'll be honest, I didn't mind that it was only two degrees. It was great. 
I was outside walking around. Oh, thank you, Lord, for a great day. Shouldn't I thank the Lord for salvation first? I should. Should thank Him every day for it. It's amazing. It's amazing grace. It's beyond our comprehension. He loves you so much that He'd do that for you. I'm so glad to tell you, it doesn't matter, as I said earlier in the message, it doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus will not turn you away. If you come seeking and looking, saying, Lord, I need something I don't understand. I need you as Savior. He won't turn you away. Maybe you've heard the plan of salvation. You think, eh, whatever. I would really encourage you to stop and pause and to look some more. It's a dangerous thing to be in a place of mocking what God has done for you. That's a dangerous place. You don't want to be there. Maybe you failed. Made a stumble and did some things that aren't right. You know, I gotta encourage you. <clears throat> Peter made a mistake here, but the Lord let him use him in great ways in the days ahead, didn't he? Don't think that a failure has stopped you from serving. Hey, get it right and move forward. Make it right and move forward. Maybe this morning you realize that how weak you are. I don't have any strength of my own to, to make this Christian life go. I need the power of God. Amen. I, I can't fake it. I mean, I can try, but I'm going to fail. I need the Lord. I need to be growing stronger as a Christian. I hope that's your desire as well. Whatever you need, whatever the situation the Lord's working your heart, maybe the Lord's working your heart in a totally different way and a different vein. Hey, folks, when the Lord starts working your heart, you be wise to adjust to what the Lord's trying to do in your life. You think, oh, no, I'll take care of it later. No, you know what I found out? It never happens. Take care of it today. Take care of it today. In a few moments, we're going to have invitation. You can come to the altar. Come to the altar and get things right with the Lord. Maybe you need to know Jesus Christ your Savior. Come and we'll have someone show you from the Word of God how to be saved. But whatever the Lord's moving your heart about, follow His leading. He has a plan. And His vision, His, His view, His will is so much greater than our own. The mission of the Messiah has been fulfilled. He's come and died for all of us. Salvation is provided. Are you going to follow His will for your life?